0: Welcome, adventurers. This is the conclusion of The Fox and the Rabbit. If you have not yet listened to episodes 21 and 22, please do so now. For the rest, into the darkness of the prison below the Baron's Manor. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents oh. Tales from the dungeon. Sebo kneeled once again before the Baron. The light in the room was tinged with pinks and oranges. Sol was either setting or rising. He wasn't sure. Even the indirect light hurt his eyes. He had been in the cell next to that grumpy dwarf for a long time, and had long since lost track of Sol's cycle. The Baron sat on his chair as before, this time carving bits of meat off of a roast with a dagger, before spearing them and popping them into his mouth. It was a quarter of a bell before the Baron finished, wiping his face and casting the napkin aside. Gathering the goblet from his side table, he took a large swig, swallowed loudly, and then nodded to no one in particular, approving of whatever beverage was in his cup. He continued to stare at the cup as he spoke. It has been a while, my little friend. Almost. He screwed his face up in concentration before saying. Ember's night, yes. Almost two months. He started to tap a large jeweled ring on the side of the mug. Have you had any revelations in your time to think? Regrets, perhaps? Sebo wobbled unsteadily on his knees. Weak from months of captivity, he opened his mouth, lips cracking. Regrets. A pause, and then a chuckle. Most certainly I regret not being invited to share your dinner. The Baron sighed slumped back into his chair, placing the goblet on the arm. If you think your wit will endear you to me, you're quite mistaken. I am literally the only person whom you should avoid offending, and yet you persist. Does your defiance make you feel free? The question hung unanswered. Because the last two months should drive home the opposite point. Do you value your ego so much? No, you see. You say it's been two months, but I'm pretty sure I just got here last night, and I've been dreaming. A nightmare, to be sure, the baron replied. Oh, I assure you not. I dream of a large wood house burning over a city of tents. And below a merry party, with a big, fat pig turning slowly on a spit. And you know dreams being weird and all, the pig is screaming for some reason. Screaming and wearing a fox's mask. Odd, I know, but it smells of bacon, and it makes me smile. As Sibo finished, he became aware that the Baron was sitting forward on the edge of his chair, and for the first time since Ember's Night, was staring at him. The black eyes were cold, and the mouth was drawn into a thin line. Despite himself, Sibo shivered. Though he did not say anything, he realized that regret was something that would come to him soon. He seemed to be proud of that sharp tongue of yours, the Baron said in an even tone. But there are sharper things, much sharper. The icy gaze lingered on him a moment longer before he looked over Sibo's head to the guard who stood behind him. Take him to see the doctor. Have his tongue cut out. But convey to the doctor that I wish for him to live. Leaning back into his chair, the Baron took another drink and looked out the window. Let's see how your spirit fares without a mouthful of words. Sibo had been through the guard chamber eight times four times up and four times down. On the third time down, Sibo noticed a detail that pulled at his mind. At the top of the spiral staircase that led to the cells below, next to the small opening in the floor, was a metal plate. After thinking hard on it, he realized he had seen it each time before, but never thought on its significance. After all Ford Beer's incessant lessons on every aspect of thievery, Sebo had begun to realize the value in the dwarf's words. "'When you enter a room, trap it in your mind as a painting.' Practice doing this. Then, whenever you need information about that place, it is there for you to examine. Without knowing it, Sebo had practiced this technique on his trips up to see the Baron. And so it was that some eight months back, he had sat bolt upright in his cell. It was during a rare moment when Fordbeer had not been talking. Stare was just laying, eyes closed, envisioning the guard chamber. And then he saw it. Fordbeer turned to him. What is it, boy? Sebo went close to the bars between cells and began to gesture excitedly. Over the last eight months, Fordbeer had taught him a form of communication that only involved his hands. It took some time given Fordbeer's maiming, but they had an abundance of that, and at this point, Sebo was quite proficient. When Sebo was done, Fordbeer smiled. Good boy. Now you're starting to understand. Yes, the plate is a hatch that can be fixed over the stairs, locking us unruly prisoners below. A few flicks of the hands from Sebo in reply. Fordbeer's grin widened. Indeed, if we could just get them on this side all at once. The smile left his face as he barked out a deep, rasping cough before continuing. That plate is nigh an instinct, though. Given its size, it probably weighs a hundred pounds or more. Won't be shut in a hurry, and I won't be much help with the initial lift, Ford Beer said, holding up his stump and mangled hand. A moment of quiet passed, accompanied only by the sound of Ford Beer's breath, which had in the last few days developed a slight wheeze. Ford Beer had then spoken, nearly under his breath if we could just find some sort of lever. And so it was on Sibo's seventh and eighth trips through the guard chamber, a month ago, that a plan was born. A new guard had taken Sibo to see the Baron on the last trip. He was a mouthy individual. He seemed to enjoy cuffing him atop the head and kicking Sibo as he walked, almost as much as he liked to strut, chest puffed out. Sibo immediately dubbed him the rooster in his head. The rooster rambled on the whole time, telling him what a piece of garbage he was and to walk faster. Despite this, it was all Sibo could do to avoid marching ahead with a giant grin on his face. The rooster, unlike any of the other guards to date, carried a boar spear over his shoulder. It had a broad, leaf-shaped head and a thick wood shaft, roughly six feet in length. The audience with the baron was short Asibo had smiled and spit in the direction of the baron's boots in response to the question of had his twenty-two months of captivity brought him any new revelations. Rooster had kicked him in the back and drug him from the room. As they descended through the cellar and into the guard post, Rooster had paused, placing his spear against the wall, just near the top of the stairs, before descending. If we could just find some sort of lever... Fordbeer's cough had grown steadily worse. His chest gave a deep rattle and wheeze with each breath. As his cough had progressed, his talking became less and less. He barely managed to smile when Sibo told him of the rooster's spear. Good to hear, boy. Good news indeed. A racking cough shook Fordbeer, sweat gathering on his head. I'm just going to need to rest a little longer. And let this cold pass. It had been nearly seven months now since the cough had started. Sibo knew it was not going to pass. He needed to get his friend out of here into a temple. While I rest and get better, I have one more skill to teach. Fordbeard dragged himself with great effort away from Sibo and into the darkness. The muffled sound of a rock being moved could be heard a fit of uncontrollable coughing, and then silence. Sibo feared the worst. He let out an animal-like scream, a cry of concern. A small cough came in response, and then, give me a minute, boy, I'll be back. I just need to rest. After a time that seemed like a bell or more, but was really no more than ten bars, Fordbeer drug himself back into Sibo's vision. When he reached the bars between them, he hacked and coughed for a time before a weak grin came to his face. All right. You were already a passable pickpocket when we met. And I have taught you everything else you need. Stealth, the weakest points of a creature, and where to strike. The thieves can't. How to plan, prepare, and be cautious among many other things. Now, one last skill your nimble finger should pick up quickly. Fordbeer opened his palm, and within lay two small, crudely shaped metal tools. Picked up the materials for these off of a corpse during my time in the pit before you arrived. He offered the tools through the bar. Sibo took them. Now, as the cruel fates had it, Two days after I had fashioned them, I lost my hand. Fordbeer continued, chest wheezing as he spoke. But I can talk you through it. I'd say our time together has sharpened that sponge of a brain. It is time to learn how to pick a lock, boy. Sibo's face drew into an expression of pure determination. After all this time, the last piece of the puzzle to make an attempted escape... A spasm of coughs rolled through Ford Beer. He had better learn fast. His friend didn't have much time. Thank Cinder, the spear was just where he had seen it a month ago. He grabbed it and ran to the side of the metal plate opposite the opening for the stairs. A shout of alarm sounded from below. The remaining two guards had discovered the ruse. Snare drove the blade of the spear under the plate, pushing until the wood shaft was below the plate as well. Snare squatted near the end of the spear and then heaved with all he was worth. The plate lifted slowly. The hinge attached to the floor, rusted and unused, screeched. The footfalls of the guards below could be heard breaking into a run. After getting the prisoner to scream, everything had fallen into place. He had crawled under Thin Man's body, pulling it back on top of himself, dagger still clutched tightly in hand. It was Rooster who had come to check on the prisoner's screams. Snare heard him cuss and dash toward him as he saw Thin Man's body face down on the floor. Rooster paused for a moment to look into the cell, yelling at the prisoner, who just pointed wildly at the body and spit out, Gnome! Gnome! Rooster looked confused, but reached down to roll the body over. As he did, Snare had sprung up, driving the dagger into the rooster's armpit, and then again into his neck. A look of disbelief remained in his eyes, even as he expired. The prisoner screamed again, and Snare had stared at him once more. This time the look had brought a frightened silence. He quickly turned, Padding quietly to the bottom of the stairs, this was supposed to be Fordbeer's bit, an impression of Thin Man to draw the guards down. Instead, he did all that he was able, prayed to Cinder, and then wailed at the top of his lungs. He had then retreated out of the lantern light, faced the wall, and hunkered down, pressing himself behind a small bump of rock. Cinder had seen fit to bless him, Not only did both guards come down the stairs, they both dashed past to inspect their fallen comrades further down the hall. Snare did not hesitate. He stood and rushed quickly to the stairs and then up. Snare heaved again. The plate lifted a little more. The footsteps reached the bottom of the stairs. Snare screamed and pulled. The plate rose more. He began to move toward the plate, lifting the shaft over his head. He had to get it to a tipping point. The frantic pounding of feet rushing upstairs. Veins stood from his neck. His muscles burned. He wasn't going to make it. And then, the plate lurched, rust finally grinding free. It stood straight up. Snare dropped the spear and threw his body into the plate. It felt as though he had just run into the cave wall, but it tipped and its weight began to pull it down. To Snare's dismay, it paused on its descent for a moment, a muffled cry of pain, and then shut. It had struck the foremost guard trying to ascend the stairs. Snare scrambled to grab the spear again, driving the shaft through a latch that held the plate shut. Laying on the plate, panting heavily, he felt an impact from below. The plate barely budged. It would hold. Stair rolled onto his back, a tear of sheer exhilaration escaping his eye, followed by a wave of sorrow. Goodbye, Fordbeer, he thought. The lock snapped open. Ten beats, Fordbeer said. A raspy pause. Well done, boy. I'd say you got it down. This was the fourth time Sibo had picked the lock successfully in that quick time. Sibo pushed the door open, ever so slowly. He had done this every time he had opened the lock as well, gradually removing the rust from the infrequently used hinges. Sibo only stepped outside the cell for a moment before turning around to head back in, closed the door. And reaffixed the lock, snapping it shut. He went to the back wall, placed the lock picks in a small crack, and then came back to the bars between his and Fordbeer's cell. Fordbeer lay against the bars, eyes closed. His breathing had become very shallow over the last two days. Sibo tapped him on the shoulder. His eyes opened. Sibo signed We go tomorrow. Fordbeer did not respond at first and then nodded, ever so slightly. Yes, tomorrow is as good a time as any. And then, after staring at him for a long while, he said, I've taught you everything I know, boy. You are as ready as you will ever be. A weak cough was followed by another silence. Eyes closing again, Ford Beer spoke. If I don't make it, boy, take something of mine with you. A laugh that turned into a ragged cough followed. But what do I have? He lay stroking his beard. His hand then stopped on one of the silver rings. Take these, my boy, to remember me by. Sebo pushed his hand hard into Ford Beer's shoulder, who turned to look again. We leave tomorrow. We, he signed angrily. Fordbeer smiled but did not say anything else. Instead, his eyes closed again, and he spoke softly. I've taught you everything I know. You are not the rabbit any longer, boy. No, you have become the snare. His voice trailed off, his breathing shallow. After a time, Fordbeer spoke again, barely audible. Get some sleep, boy. You have a big day tomorrow. The dwarf had crawled just a few paces from the bars, curled up, and fell to sleep. Sibo stared at Ford Beer for a long time, watching his back rise and fall, before he himself lay down and drifted to a fitful sleep. Sibo woke to silence, complete silence. He sat up quickly, looking to where Ford Beer lay. He appeared unmoving. Sibo rushed to the back of the cell, retrieved the tools, picked the lock in eight beats, slid silently from his cell, replaced the lock, moved to Ford Beer's cell, picked the lock, six beats, opened the door. It gave a small squeal of protest. Sibo padded inside and kneeled to touch Ford Beer. He was cold. Sibo rolled him onto his back, hand going to Ford Beer's mouth in search of breath. There was none. Sibo sat hard on the floor, hands grasping at his temples. He rocked a moment and cursed himself. Cinder no forsake you, Sibo. You failed. Even as he thought this, something sounded wrong with the statement. He thought a moment and then stopped rocking. Rolling back onto his knees, he looked down on Ford Beer's motionless form and began to unbraid his beard. Sibo. He was no longer Sebo. No, Sibo had died here in the cells with Fordbeer. From now on, he was Snare. The secret door through the cellar was easy enough to open from the cave side, and he passed quietly through. There were lanterns in the vast cellar, but plenty of shadows as well. Snare moved quietly. He moved unseen. It was dark on the first floor. It must still be night. A careful exploration of the first floor had taken half a bell. It revealed two likely ways to the outside. It had also revealed stairs to the floors above. The baron's bedroom was most likely on one of those. Snare reached back to where he had tucked the dagger into his belt. His anger flared. He would find the Baron and kill him where he slept. His reaching hand brushed the bag containing Fordbear's rings. Patience, restraint. These are the qualities that elevate a thief. But the secret of a snare is patience. What is time to a snare? It will wait long for the opportunity to strike. Snare took a deep breath. Relaxing his hand. The window seemed the better of the two options. He made his way to it, slid the window just wide enough for his small body, and then slipped through into the night. We now know how Snare came by his dwarven beard rings. But how did he come to meet Alarion and Ortaval? Did he ever seek revenge on the Baron of Mummer's Fair? More tales remain untold. Next week is the Season 2 Halfway Point Break, a great time to revisit the first 23 episodes of Tales from the Dungeon. Patrons be on the lookout for supplemental materials to be released that pertain to the first three stories of Season 2. And during this crazy time, one episode a week from Season 1 is being released to the public for free. So please tell a friend. And fear not. Season 2 resumes with new tales on Monday, April the 13th. Hello, listener. Are you a fan of Tales from the Dungeon? Want early access to episode releases, character sheets, maps, and more? Please consider becoming a patron of the show. Join the other adventurers that help make Tales from the Dungeon a reality, and become a patron today at www.patreon.com forward slash speakingstonestudio. All one word, all lowercase. That's www.patreon.com forward slash. Speaking Stone Studio. Join today and keep the adventure alive.